You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you are doing exceptionally well. The fellow you're about to hear from, his name is Whitfield Crane, and he is the front man for the band Ugly Kid Joe, and as it turns out, quite a few other bands as well. The reason for the conversation was to promote the band's then-upcoming tour of Australia, which occurred through December of 2017. So let's hear what Whit has to say. Here we go. Wit, Andy Mackay-Smith from Queensland in Australia calling. How are you, mate? I'm good, man. I'm hanging out with uh, Dallas Braska and Jeff Curran. Uh, and I'm in Fitzroy, uh, the district of Fitzroy in Melbourne, Australia. Okay, you're here. I didn't realise that, mate. Okay, so you're in a bit of a promo tour already, are you? No, I'm just living here. It's perfect. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't, and I started, I didn't realize I started, that. I said, I'm, I said, I'm ready to work. Here I am working. <laughs> oh, good on you, mate. You mind if I ask what, what brought you to Australia? Was it romance? Um, you know, i got to say it's the people. It's, there's a music scene here, and it's, it's like the textures here, you know, really suit me. You know, it reminds me of what California must have been like in 1977, though, you know, I was a baby then, but... Just something good about this place, you know, and I, and I meet really nice people that are present in a way that, you know, that I find attractive, and, um, you know, I like it, so, and wherever I, you know, if there's someplace I like, I'll go, I'll go there, and I'll, and, and I'll live there, so I live here. Wonderful, well, I'm, I'm glad you're one of us, mate, if that's the case, mate, you should make your way up here, you'd love Queensland if you're into the California lifestyle. Where are you from, Noosa, Jeff? Yeah, yeah Jeff, Jeff. Just from Noosa, you're oh, in Queensland, yeah? Yeah, I'm from Maroochydore, which is nearby, near near, I'm near Noosa. It's about forty k's away from Noosa. He's from he's from Maroochydore. Yeah, well, yeah, they all kind of they're all they're all smiling with his with his all knowing <laughs> Australian game. <laughs> awesome, mate. All right, hey, mate, I better kick things off. Only in the interest of time, how have the interviews been going for you so far? Uh, it's it's a. Uh, it's a lot. It's, I've been on the phone for two hours. Okay, sweet, mate. Well, but tr- it's a worthwhile topic. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll try to make this one interesting because I have been a fan of the band and, in particular, your good self for a period, of, a long period of time. And, mate, my final question before I start asking questions is, uh, are you okay if I record this for the purposes of releasing it as a podcast? And I'll also air the uh, interview on my radio show, which is on 4 Z Community Radio. Yeah, do your thing, man. Art, art, artists support artists. Wonderful. All right. Right. All right, mate. Well, I want to welcome you to the show. America's Least Wanted is, by my own estimation, one of the last great hard rock albums to achieve commercial success before grunge or so-called alternative music became the media's rock selection and gained precedence over all other types of rock music. When you created that album along with your bandmates, did you feel as though you had created music that would be so revered and fondly remembered 25 years later? No, not not one percent. We were just on, kind of on a, you know, the ocean moves. We were like on a big wave. You know, we came out the EP, which was, a, I guess, a great success in the world. And then they wanted to get us in the studio to make a, a, a full length record, which we went and found a producer named Mark Dodson that we loved. Uh, but but we loved him because he produced Judas Priest, and that's why we hired him. I'm like, did you know those guys? Should I meet Rob Hoffer? <laughs> you know, like, I was like, that, that's why I wanted to like, work with him. And so we went in the studio at the studio called Devonshire Studio in, in, uh, in Hollywood, California. And we made this record, and we, um, uh, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. And we were kids. We had a good time doing it, I'll tell you that. Um, 
And no, we didn't know sonically what it was. I don't think any band really knows what it's doing when it's doing it. Like if it's gonna, if it's, if it's a, maybe like Radiohead knows what they're doing, but I don't know, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, no, we had no idea that it, would, that it would be successful or it would be cool or if we'd be able to do shows 25 years. But, you know, we, did, we were just in the moment and just, you know, yeah, I think that when you're not running after something or running away from something, it seems like uh, life works the best. And really, if you're making like an art form or whatever you're making for yourself, like you're really just doing it for you, not selfishly, but just because you love it, um, it seems like that's when it has the best chance after that process of the world enjoying it. So that's really what the record is, I suppose. Yeah, sweet. Great response, mate. And you know what I really enjoyed, which was the album that came uh, two albums later, Motel California in 1996. I especially enjoyed the single and the video to The Cut Sandwich. Great bass playing, too, by your bass player, Cordell, in the band uh, as well. Do you feel, though, that that album yeah. is overlooked yep. by fans and critics, particularly as it was released at a time when all rock music, so forget about grunge and alternative music, but all rock music was said to be dead by mainstream media types and electronica was the buzzword of the day? I don't know if it was overlooked. There was just a different thing going on. That's music. You know, there was like, remember like big hair bands? That was big. Grunge was big. Now grunge is gone. Um, and so, you know, electronic, electronica or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, you know, I, we're just making music and that, that's, that's about it. For sure. We thought there was no wind in the sail by Motel California. Like we knew, we all knew we were going to hell in a handbasket. But as far as making music goes, I, I just like doing that anyway. So, you know. Yeah, I don't. And I really don't think of anything critically. And I'm not a critic. I'm not a critic. And I, I don't. You know, as far as critics go, like those are, that's a weird job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're not wrong. It is a funny job, isn't it? Sometimes I think they're like a school of fish critics, and they just sort of go where the larger fish tend to be. But, uh, mate, I still really enjoy the album. And uh, as I mentioned, Cordell's bass playing on that one. It was one of the first times that I really, outside of bands like Primus and I think Faith No More, that I really heard some great funk-style bass playing on that track. Cordell Crockett Crockett on the bass guitar is is a fucking savant. Like, he's a genius musician. 100% salt of the earth. Like, if that dude is in your rhythm section, you are safe. You're a safe man, a safe woman. Every single, you know, you are stoked. But you're that, you're right, you're you're right to pick up on that. That guy is just he's a profound musician, hundred percent. You're on like a diamond. Awesome, yeah. And mate, it's it's not just Cordell. I mean, the whole band is, is individually very talented. And what I mean by that is that at least three of the band's members went on to achieve individual success. So success in your own right outside of Ugly Kid Joe. Would you put that down to anything in particular, or are you just a very right. talented group of people in the band? I think it's just a bunch of talented guys that found each other that have a lot to share with the world that uh, went and shared it in different forms and uh, had good timing. You know, there's a lot of talented people that are never going to get it together. You know, there's you go in the street, you go down the street right here where I'm in Fitzroy. There's some incredible musicians, but, but this is as far as they're going to go. They're going to sing on acoustic guitar in a bar. And that's great. They're playing. So that's beautiful. But so as far as people making it in any form, including like my guys going on to be like, you know, kick-ass producers or kick-ass drummers or whatever it is, they, they are great at that. And other kids certainly was a springboard for that. But, you know, they have to have timing. They have to have resolve and fortitude to get that done. So, you know, they already gone through all the bullshit that comes with being a successful band. And so they, they knew they could survive it. I, I, I've never really talked to them about it, but I, but I imagine that would be the, the storyline if I was going to hypothesize. 
Yeah. And, mate, you personally, you've been involved in a lot of projects over the years, and all of them have been excellent. I must compliment you on that. You must have a, a high creative muse there, because I thought your addition to Life of Agony was a great move, and your performances during OzFest 1998 were all very well received. Yeah. And also, mate, probably my favourite thing that you've done outside yeah. of Ugly Kid Joe is your work with Logan Matter of Machine Head and Josh Freeze of far too many bands to mention in the excellent medication yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your time in medication. Yep. Medication was, was, was a band that was created. Uh, I was in Life Agony we're on the 98 Ozfest tour in America. And Logan was in um, a band called Soulfly with Max from uh, Cemetery. And we all were one big pot of humans. You know, we're the was involved and we're causing trouble and stealing golf carts and, you know, turn up some shit. That is what we're doing. And, uh, by the end of that tour, I was living in New York City, and then I and I I I, I ended up out of the band Death Agony, and Logan ended up out of the band Soulfire, and we were best friends. So we moved to Hollywood, California. We rented a house, 826 North Turkey, uh, right off Melrose, and we sat in that house with a giant rolling like 16 track machine that he knew how to negotiate, and we sat and made songs, and hung out, and slowly like put furniture in the house, but mainly just made music. And then we were able to make an EP and a full length, and uh, we toured it a bit, and then. Uh, in 2003, you know, for whatever reason, that was over. But the main part of the, the main, the main part about the musical journey or travail is to make the music. Because in the end, that's what's going to be sitting around. So, yeah, Medication was a good band. Uh, I would have loved to have toured, to, toured a little more, toured, you know, toured around the world or whatever. But we didn't. But uh, you know, we made some good tunes, certainly. And what's your what's your, your recollection of your time in Life of Agony? As I say, there's there's a very good video of you performing with the band. I think it's either in a rehearsal space or in a studio singing the song Weeds. I don't know whether you've seen that. It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's in like... I, that's probably in Boston, I think. I'm going to write... Yeah, I remember um, that. was cool because I didn't... I wasn't in the band. Uh, you know, I, I, you know I, you know, I was sitting around and I was like, fuck, I don't have a band. And I was like, you know... I I gone through many, so many repetitious moments being a I guess a best singer, a singer that's you know, sang songs and made albums and toured. I didn't have any outlet for that. And I was talking to my friend Scotty and who plays in a band called Anthrax. He's like, You need to be sing-. all my rock, rock friends were like, You need to be singing. I'm like, I know, but where? What do I do? And I was sad actually. And uh and Scott said, Why are you traveling this band Life Agony? So I'd never heard of. And he goes, Well and he vouched for me and he vouched for them and I flew in there and I, I sang. Uh, in New York, I, and I, I thought I did pretty good in, in, a, in a place called, uh, what's it called? Uh, Yonkers. In Yonkers, a big sandwich shop in Yonkers. And, uh, and then I went to uh, Birmingham and saw Black Sabbath uh, play with Bill Ward. And then I got a call from Live Agony, I went, and they said, look, you got the gig. And I said, I'll take that gig, but you have to play Symptoms of the Universe. And they said, really? And I said, yeah, that's for real. And they said, okay, we'll play that. So it was good. And it was, it was also because because Keith, who's now Mina, uh, she uh, she sings uh, in in a way that I don't sing. So in a sense, it was Life Agony was a gift in a lot of ways. Because if you think conceptually of the singer Fuzzy Joe Joe in Life Agony, it just you, you it doesn't make any sense. But it made great sense once we you know we got on the stage and and connected. So it was a great test for me to pass, you know, which I passed. And also it was a, it was a, it was a different discipline of actually singing because I because I wanted to mirror properly the, how, the, how the singer had sung. And so then I learned how to actually, you know, get different tones, a different bottom end of my voice. And uh, it was a really uh, important step for me uh, as far as being a singer or a musician or whatever my title would be. And uh, I'm still great friends with uh, Alan. Alan. Alan, 
Roberts made the last Ugly Kid Joe Tour t-shirt for me. Nice. Sweet. Well, no, congratulations again yeah. on that, mate. I never, I've never felt that you get an, you don't get enough credit for producing such great hard rock with such a wide variety of artists. So uh, my next question actually is out of friendship that you form yeah. with someone who we all know and love, and that's, of course, Lemmy. If I'm not mistaken, mate, you were very close to Lemmy. Yep, I love that guy. You know, he, he's been made into a rock deity sure. by fans, but how do you remember him? Well, he was a gentleman, and he was he was a good guy, and he had, and he had resolve, and he was a musician, and he wasn't fucking around, and he knew what he liked, and he worked for it, and he was honest. You know, that's who that dude was, and he was a storyteller. Like no matter no matter what era of music, you know, he would never brag, but he'd always say these words: "I was there." <laughs> I'd be like, "Wow, were you really?" And he'd go, "Yes," and he'd tell me the story of, of you know of that. Towards the end of his life, I got on the I got on the Motorhead tour bus twice, um, where I just showed up with my backpack and said, "Can I be on tour with you guys?" Like I wasn't in the band or I wasn't in the band, but uh, after all those, you know, I did that twice in uh, 2012 and 2014. And after the Motorhead shows, I'd end up in the uh, the bottom area of the double decker bus. It'd just be me and Lem for hours, and he would uh, have his iPad out and he would just be so passionate about different musicians that he liked. Listen to this. Listen to this. So, you know, he's, he's a great teacher for me of, of, of how to do it and how not to do it. He was also very patient with me, you know, because me at 24 was a, was a handful, you know. So, you know, we all miss him. He's, a, you know, he's, a, he's an iconic figure. And, a, and a really, what he is is a really, he's a good human. So I was lucky to know him, certainly. Oh, fantastic response, mate. Thanks for sharing that. And, mate, back in the day, um, 25 years ago or thereabouts once again, you toured with Ozzy Osbourne on the No More Tours tour. What are your recollections of that tour? That tour was Motorhead, Ugly Kid Joe, and Ozzy Osbourne, and we couldn't believe it. And we were like, no way, we got that tour. And it was supposed to be a sober tour because Ozzy was sober. And so we, you know, we were told that we couldn't drink beers, and we were like, all right, whatever we have to do. And then immediately, the first show, Ozzy sent us two cases of beer, and we thought it was a setup. And we, did, we just kind of stared at the beers that we wanted to drink, but we, we didn't drink them. And then we found out we were allowed to drink them, and we were very happy. And then, uh, you know, and then we'd go watch the Aussie set, we'd watch the Motorhead set, and we, 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 were, we couldn't really believe that we were on tour with these guys. And then one of the funnier things that I remember is Aussie, there's these little stink bombs, they're glass stink bombs, and they're really pungent and disgusting. And so after our show, a couple different times, we'd sit there and be like, wow, that was cool. And then the door would go, bam, 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 backstage. Bam, 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 bam. And we'd be like, well, who's that? And he'd, and he'd go, it's Ozzy. And we'd go, no way. He loved that. And we'd open the door, and it'd be Ozzy in his, like, total, like, ready to go on stage. And he'd throw stink bombs in our dressing room and smash them and laugh at us in the Ozzy Osbourne voice. Ha, 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 ha. And we're like, fuck. Because, I mean, it was gross. It got really bad. And then he kept on doing that, and he kept on hustling his way back in because, you know, how can you not open the door to the kinds of darkness. Of course, and, um, yeah. That's funny shit. Sweet, mate. Great story. And, mate, I think I've got time for one more question. A uh, bit of an obvious question since you're now a fellow Aussie, but can you tell me about your relationship with Australian fans and listeners, especially as it's been over the years? Well, Australia or Australia, Australian people or Australian fans, it almost reminds you of the same entity. It's just a really gregarious... Uh, amazing body of people. It's my kind of people, you know, uh, different strokes for different folks. But like, there's a, there's an edge here 
Uh, there's a music scene here. There's an openness here that I enjoy. Um, but as far as shows go, there's a total passionate uh, archetype of, uh, of, uh, of Australian fans, and always will be. You know, you got that thing where, you know, you guys will party for, th- for three days and then recycle. You know what I mean? Like, it's a cool place. So, um, you know, when we're, when we're conspiring to put this tour together, the 25-year anniversary tour, America's Least Wanted, UKJ, Dallas Frasca, and, of course, Tim McMillan, I was like, wow, I'm already here. Why wouldn't we start it here, you know? And, you know, why wouldn't we start it here? So it's a great place to start it. Um, there's no place I really, I mean, I'm basically living here. So, I, you know, and, and, of course, I totally made sure that the tour last, the last stop would end up in Melbourne because you know what will happen on that, you know, when you're in this town, the last thing you want to do is get on a plane the next morning. So we don't, now we don't have to. December 9th, it's all, it's all, it's going to be a really great night. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to go along to the Brisbane show. I think it's at the zoo from memory. Um, I encourage anybody listening to get out there and have a look. It's, I mean, you're not, you're not, I want to be, I don't want to say you're a nostalgia because it's not the case, mate. You're all very much currently involved in rock and roll. And certainly the videos that I've seen of the band performing uh, in the last two to three to five years on YouTube, mate, you've really put it on, man. So congratulations again for coming back for such a wonderful career and for getting involved in so much and for producing so much great hard rock and heavy metal over the years. Hey, man, thank you for saying that. And I'm grateful for, uh, for your time. And good luck with your podcast. Thank you very much, brother. Appreciate it. I'll, um, I'll put the horns up out in the crowd for you, mate, when I go to your Brizzy show. Okay, well, find me in Brizzy. Find me and we'll hang out. All right, man? Nice yeah, sweet, you. man. I wish you a great day. Okay, thank you, brother. No worries at all. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast and also my bloody MacBook Air going crazy in the background. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and that was my conversation with Whitfield Crane, the frontman for Ugly Kid Joe. Thank you so much for listening.